I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. And you're listening to Two Two Average Girls. Girls. Happy Tag Tuesday. How are you? Aloha. Oh, aloha from the Garden Island. Yes, we are here together (laughs) again. I kind of don't come to the island without Denise now. (laughs) Which is what exactly (laughs) I am all about. Was that part of your devious plan? Like I said, when she, we first were friends, she did not live here (laughs) part time. And I still loved her. But now that she lives here and has this house, I'm never breaking up with her. I see. I, I'm glad I, to know. You can't shake me, even if you try. <laughs> you can't shake There's me. There's no way. I'm not going anywhere. I also need to mention that this is going to be uh, airing later than the actual time. We usually right. record a few weeks right. in advance or whatever, whenever we're together. Spoiler alert if anybody thinks it's live. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine if we did a live <laughs> podcast, how, what that would look like? Sound like? be like the cancellation button would come out immediately <laughs> and get pressed um but i need to wish denise a happy birthday oh, thank you we celebrated her birthday while she was here this is the second or third year in a third row third year in a row i've been in the garden island for my birthday that's my choice that is your place birthday wish that's my birthday wish well, i love it here happy birthday thank you yeah. i love it here so much that Literally, I feel like every time I come back here and I keep telling everybody, don't come here, but except for me, (laughs) (laughs) because it's so awesome. But I just feel like it it's kind of wraps me up and just makes me feel good here. My mother-in-law had the best statement when because she comes here often too, Mm -hmm. easily once a year, if if not more. And she stays for extended periods of time. And we love it. She loves it here. she said when you get off the plane the air just it it envelops you yes like a big hug and i'm like that's i've never forgotten that because it's absolutely true the air is thick here because you know the humidity we're on an island and everything but it it's it's a wonderful thickness i love the thick air except for my hair oh no one's hair does well here this is the first time i've had my hair cut short And really blonde on this island. Mm. And let's just say, not a good combo. Well, you I look like Nick Nolte <laughs> in his, like, you know. His that, mugshot? His mugshot when he was, like, drunk and crazy. I put my hair out of my pony. It is like Bozo the Clown. It goes crazy. You're getting arrested because people <clears throat> think you're doing crack. It's something it's something to behold. I can't get it under control. I, I start out, I'll straighten it, and then I go to shop and I go you oh know. the minute you step outside of the air conditioning forget it forget it's it. crazy yeah it's crazy but this is a good segue about the love of our island and I say our <laughs> island because I'm you know I'm taking it over now um because we have a great guest with us today our guest today lives here on the island we were introduced to her originally as Sarah Pineapple that's Which, not really her name. But I'm still going to call her that all the time because it is the cutest thing and she is the cutest thing. <laughs> Joining us today is Sarah Turner. Hi, Sarah. Hello. We're so glad to have you on our podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. So you got the nickname Sarah Pineapple through a mutual friend of ours, Colleen. <laughs> What's up, Colleen? Um, tell us why you would be given that nickname. 
So I work on a pineapple farm on Kauai. It's a sugarloaf pineapple farm, which is a very different variety of pineapple. It's a lot sweeter, lower acid, and it's almost creamy in flavor, but it has like a special, it's really well known for how special it is because it has such a different flavor. And Mm -hmm. I've worked on this farm for three years and we have 13 acres of pineapple and 250,000 pineapple plants. Whoa. Let's go back to the, what's it called? What kind of pineapple is it? It's sugarloaf pineapple. A sugarloaf. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sugarloaf. I have tasted it. It is amazing. I don't think people understand how many varieties of pineapple Mm -hmm. there actually are. Yeah. And the most people only have one variety of pineapple, which is what's grown by Dole and Del Monte, which is smooth cayenne. But there's so many different varieties, but none of them are really grown on a large scale for different reasons. And sugarloaf pineapple is probably one of the best varieties that everyone can agree on is the best variety of pineapple they've ever had. Let's start with how you got here to Kauai, because you're not native to the island. What brought you here originally? Well, I was on the Big Island a long time ago, seven years ago. I went out to the Big Island right as I was in college, and I went out there to farm on a tropical fruit farm that had 50 different varieties of fruit, Mm. and I fell in love with the Big Island and the land, and I kept... I got so excited about tropical fruit because we had 50 different varieties. It was every day was just learning about all the different varieties of fruit, fruits I've never heard of. And I got so passionate about all these different fruits that I kind of set my, like it inspired me to travel and travel just for the purpose of discovering new fruits. Mm-hmm. And I- And farming? And farming, yeah. So when you when you go to the Big Island and you're there, did you go to school before you got there for something that is in this arena? Yeah, I've always been interested in food systems. And so, well, through high school, I started to get very interested in food systems. So I went to college and I went in with the major of biological and agricultural engineering. Wow. And from the first year, I knew that this was my first summer that I had to myself where my parents weren't deciding what I was doing and I took a leap of faith and I booked a plane ticket I told them I was going I didn't ask (laughs) them whether I was going and I got on the plane and I showed up I found this farm online I sent them a message asked them if I could come and stay for work trade to work in order for a place to live and I got an answer didn't hear from them for about a month or two months before I left and I arrived and I'm messaging this woman that's supposed to pick me up from the airport. Oh my gosh. And she's, you know, like seven hours late. I'm just sitting there on the side of the curb. And she picks, finally picks me up and we're starting to head off to the farm. And she was a very eccentric woman. And it just arriving at that place, I never felt more at home in my entire life. It was just that deep feeling of this is where I belong. And like you said, the land just like hugging you. It was yeah. just that full kind of surrender into just like the land is here to support me. And so when I got there, it was just every day was every different fruit tree was learning about all the different fruits that we had. And, you know, it was just I became obsessed with knowing every single tree and what everything I could about it. And there's two people that were walking me around, showing me everything each day and I did try white pineapple for the first time there. And so I knew what it was and I knew how amazing it was because it's something that you taste and you never forget. It just, it's always in the back of your mind. Mm -hmm. And 
that kind of spurred my passion for farming. And I went into a major biological and agricultural engineering. It was all farmers who were trying to get out of farming and moving into more of a office environmental engineering mm-hmm. job and going into a engineering degree trying to become a farmer, <laughs> yeah. which is completely n- unnecessary. But I went back to school after I had spent time on the Big Island. And How long were you there? Three months. Three months for the whole mm-hmm. summer? The whole summer. That's exciting. Yeah. Did we're you go back and finish your degree? I did. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. so it was very much one of those things when I was in Big Island, I didn't want to leave. Yeah. And it was kind of like, do I go back and finish this degree? Mm-hmm. And I'm around a bunch of people who don't have degrees sure. and they're doing great and they're yeah. have, like living these amazing lives, the life that I would want to live. And then I have this option, do I go back and do I finish this thing that I'm really not looking to, like I didn't want to work in an office job, I didn't want to do, like be on a computer working on AutoCAD all day long, Mm -hmm. but I just had this experience while I was on the Big Island that gave me just this clear message that I meant to go back and I meant to finish it for some greater purpose. And it became extremely clear that that's what I needed to do. I bet your parents were relieved that you wanted to come back. They did not even know that I was wavering. (laughs) (laughs) They do now. Yeah. (laughs) Once they found out that you were doing the the farm situation Mm -hmm. on Big Island, were they supportive of that or were they like, come on, Sarah, come back? They were, my mom was terrified. um, Well, yeah. Because she didn't want me to go into the unknown, but she realized that I was making my own decision and that if she wanted to be part of it she would have to support me so she gave her full support but also with you know the fear of not not knowing what I was doing or where I was going and I yeah I arrived and I didn't have phone service I was out off grid there's no cell reception there's no wi-fi so I'm like 30 minutes from the biggest town which is a small town and I'm out in the jungle I have nothing I don't have a car and so you're at the mercy of these people that you've taken this leap of faith to that you don't know you've messaged yeah. them by email yeah and there's other it was like i was at the mercy of all of them but no i was like in a such a vulnerable position because no one was like coddling me and helping me it was kind of like you're off on your own you're here it's like what do i eat i don't know this land i don't know what's edible I, you know my first day i don't have any food and no one's there to feed me at night so okay so explain what the situation was then because we have a mutual friend Bryn Watkins mm-hmm. who did this exact thing yeah. but it was when you live on the farm they give you a place to sleep but they also help feed you yeah some feed you some don't and what some, was your situation mine was they told me they were going to feed me but they didn't so they didn't say hey you must be hungry no there was no communal dinner there, at the end of the day kind no of thing? everyone who was staying there who was volunteering was on a camping trip so I arrive and oh. no one's no one's there to even tell me how anything works I just kind of got dropped off and which is funny because it kind of aligned with exactly what I wanted I, when I did this trip it was kind of like to get completely out of my comfort zone and to just like completely scare myself like put myself in a situation where I have to figure it out and so it kind of was like handed to me and um (laughs) all I knew was that you hitchhike you hitchhike to town that's how you're going to get around and so the first day I'm kind of trying to figure it out I have someone draw me a map like on how to get to town on a piece of paper because there's no like google maps like I don't even know where to go stand so I 
get there and I get a little picture drawn. I'm, it's really hard to understand. And I walk to the stop sign and I put my thumb out. And from there, it was just like the best experience of my life. Really? Just kind of letting go and, you know, just trust, trusting people, trust that people are there to help you. Yeah. And they are. It's like once you give out that, let that trust be known. It's like you're only going to attract trusting people. And so every situation I had was the most beautiful unfolding situation where the mm. most amazing experiences met the most amazing incredible people and yeah it transformed my life and it was like this community that I never experienced before the kind of community that I was around was so different than that from North Carolina so mm -hmm. I felt just completely um, surrounded by like-minded people people that I never met but were so much like me and so it was so hard to make that decision to go back because I thought, oh, I can stay. Like there's nothing, you know, there's nothing really bringing me back except school. But I made that decision that that was for my greater good. And I went back to college. Mm -hmm. And from there on out, I was traveling through my summers. I took eight months off and I traveled to I think six countries by myself. Wow. You really got a, a taste yeah, for, talk about outside I your got comfort. A taste. Yeah. And freedom for me was being away from school. So school yeah. was my obligation. And then freedom was working three jobs in college and saving up every penny I could to afford to travel mm -hmm. around the world. And so. So the farm that you worked on, on Big Island, it was an unpaid in experience. Totally, yeah. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. So you go back to school. Then are your travels then sort of centered around tropical fruit farming? Exactly, yeah. So my first place I left after that was I went to New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was more tropical than it was. I was on mm -hmm. the northern island in a pretty northern part. But, yeah, I stayed on a farm out there. I moved around a little bit throughout New Zealand. And then I went to Australia. And I studied abroad there. It was a way to get away without, you know, completely right. taking off school. And so right. I spent four months in Australia and a lot of that was focused around like scouting out fruit, fruit farms, and just checking everything out there, heading up to north, like to the most tropical spots and just going to tr different tropical fruit farms that were up there. And then I went through Southeast Asia. Oh, wow. wow. Mm -hmm. That must, I mean, talk about outside your comfort zone. Totally. That's like nothing we can imagine, those of us who yeah. haven't been there. Yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. I just booked a plane ticket to Vietnam from Australia I didn't look up anything about Vietnam. I get off the plane. I don't know how to get, you know, I just, I knew absolutely nothing. And, and for me, I am a planner. So to not know anything, I don't know why <laughs> I did it like that. <laughs> but it was, it was cool. It was learning, like just had to really rely on other people and ask them, like, what do I do now? Like I'm in this huge city. There's, you know, it's just buzzing with cars and motorbikes and then, trying to figure out like what's the next step and I slowly started taking buses up from South Vietnam to the north and I spent a month getting on bus after bus heading from South to North Vietnam. You didn't speak or understand read any Vietnamese? No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah I feel <coughs> like we're in our regular lives we're constantly being you know you're listening to the news you're listening to all the bad things happening in the world and it makes it hard to trust that good things can happen mm -hmm. and when you truly, I think, kind of sink in and you believe that, like, I'm supported, I'm guided, that good things are going to happen to me, it's once you kind of surrender into that, you totally attract it. And not in every situation. And there's always that lingering fear that what if I, you know, this person, you have someone pick you up on the side of the road and they don't look that 
like kind or you know you, you have get that the vibe you have that fear but you know and that's probably when things turn badly and you do have to have discernment so I yeah. had very strong discernment I wouldn't get in a car with someone that didn't look safe I'd tell them no I'm sorry I don't want to get in the car with you I'm going to wait for the next car and that was hard to do that was like <laughs> learning how to speak up for yourself <laughs> but someone having a beer in the console you know you're not going to have you, you have you done that have you had that situation where totally. you're like I don't feel right about this yeah. and I'm just not going to go for it totally I say I don't feel comfortable good and let the next car come up yeah. and even living here the first year I lived here I was hitchhiking mm -hmm. everywhere and it was more of the excitement the love of hitchhiking because it was such a special way to connect with people and I think when people give you a ride like it's their act of service it so is. they're they're so grateful to get that service to you and mm -hmm. it's just like being able to receive that is so special and you're in their personal intimate space i mean a car people yeah. live in their cars half the time mm -hmm. around here too there's a lot of traffic yeah is hitchhiking as common in other places of the world as it is here in hawaii not necessarily hawaii has been the most hitchhiking i've ever seen when i was in new zealand there was a little bit more um yeah it's not you don't see it quite as often as you do here. There's probably better public service. Definitely better public transportation. Yeah. Where do you get that sense of, of adventure? Where did you find it? And you, you talk about it saying that it was kind of calling you. Mm -hmm. Can you explain to us what oh, that feels like, mm -hmm. what that is for you? Yeah, I think I was at a point in my life where I felt so small. It was like I wanted to explode, but I couldn't, I just didn't know how to express myself in a way and I didn't know how to it's like I had all these dreams but nothing was coming of it and they're all in my head and I had a hard time speaking them aloud and talking about them to people so it was just all bottled up within me and I wanted to just kind of like I felt it's hard to explain the feeling I felt but it was literally in my mind every day like I felt like I want to explode like I was trapped in a confined space and I needed to just get out of it and whatever it took it was and I all I knew is if I can book a plane ticket I can do it if I yeah. can just go online and book it then I it can happen and that was kind of what I would tell myself one step at a time and just let it unfold yeah and once okay so now you're in Vietnam mm -hmm. how long did you spend in each of these individual places in Viet like well, in each you, country. you started in New Zealand. Yeah, so I was in New Zealand for a few months, okay. and then I went to Australia for four months, and then I did a month in Vietnam, and then I went for a month in Thailand, and then I did like a month between Singapore and Malaysia. And you ended up getting some school credit for that? Um, for Australia, I did. It mm -hmm. was like, it was elective courses. Um, I don't really call it study abroad because it was a com it wasn't really studying abroad because it was such you know 50% is passing in Australia so you needed a 50% in your classes to get a credit the grades don't transfer over and for there's only two assignments and mm -hmm. i got 100 on the first <laughs> assignment so having an experience outside of the norm yeah for college students it's Definitely. going to a different place that you would never be able to go to yeah. unless you have that opportunity Definitely. yeah it has nothing to do with the college right, courses right. you learn so much more by just traveling right. and and yeah just experiencing new things than you yeah. do i mean you learn so much in college depending on what you're learning but you know you're sitting down and you're memorizing things or yeah. you're it's a completely different kind of learning it's how to interact with the world which in some ways is is almost more important in my opinion yeah when you went to Vietnam and to New Zealand and all these other places 
did you find fruit that you'd never heard about again? I did. It was a lot harder because I had already seen so. I realize now, like I was on a farm with some like a very biodiverse farm with so many different fruit species, but that made it more exciting to find fruits that I've never heard of. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it was so exciting to be able to, especially in Asia, there's fruits markets all down the streets, like everyone's selling fruit. So I would get fruits like that here cost like $12 for a little piece and buy like 20 of them and go sit on the beach and just eat fruit all all day long. When you went to these other countries, was it the same setup as it was on the big island where you were sort of living and and working a farm? Some of them, yeah. So certain countries it was where I was doing like a work trade situation and other places it was just traveling. Okay. And that's because some countries just don't offer those kinds of experiences. And you can kind of seek it out in a shorter term basis rather than because the cost of living is so cheap. You can stay in a hostel for 99 cents a night. So it's why would you work seven hours a day for a place to live when you could go visit and hang out for you know, like for a week on a certain farm and then yeah. move on to the next one. So on a typical day, say you're working a farm, mm-hmm. what would be, and it's, I know it's probably different from day to day yeah. and farm to farm, what's kind of a typical thing that mm-hmm. someone could expect if, who was doing that type of thing? Yeah, it's different for any, like different kinds of farm. Tree farming is so different than vegetable farming, but um, harvesting is a big part of it. Harvesting fruit from trees or harvesting, you know, lettuce from the ground and a lot of it's weeding and amending soil. Of your travels, was there a place that you go that was so amazing? Or are you here? Did you yeah. come back to it? <laughs> yeah, that's what why I kept traveling. I remember being on the Big Island. This person was coming to do a work trade. She was like 35 years old. And I was telling her, I'm like, this place is so amazing. And she goes, you don't know what amazing is. And I'm like, it feels like home. And she's like, you don't know what home is. You're just a kid. Uh, and I was 18 years old. And I'm like, well, maybe it like shot me I was like that's not true this feels like like I've never felt this sense of home before and but it made me I was like well I'll give her the benefit of the doubt like I have to think about this maybe it is just because it's my first time leaving home it's my first experience it's that first freeing feeling of just being out of my you know out of my like where I'm from and I thought, okay, well, in order to know if this feels like home, I need to experience other places. And I kept trying to find a place that felt like home. And places felt slightly like home, and they felt, you know, great to be in. And I I enjoyed, you know, places. Like, there's so many places I'd love to go back to and visit, but nothing felt like it did when I was in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And I knew that, and I was scared to come back because I thought if I came back here, then I would stop experiencing the world, that I would stop traveling, that Mm -hmm. I would get stuck. And I kept saying, get stuck was like my main word. I don't want to get stuck. I want to see, there's so many places I want to see. And so when I graduated college, I decided to do three months here. On on Kauai? Yeah. Okay. So two days after I graduated, I came (laughs) here. Your parents are like, she's never home and I miss her. (laughs) I know. And I was like, do I have to go to the graduation ceremony? Because then I can leave a week earlier, you know? And um, I came right out here. I worked on a vegetable lettuce farm in Molua'a, which is right next door to the farm that I'm on now. And I loved it, but it's also hard being back like Kauai kind of throws a lot of things at you I don't know if you've experienced that but a a lot of people kind of say it's like an initiation so when you come to Kauai it kind of brings up 
like a lot of emotions and hard feelings and it's kind of puts you in that situation you need to work through this or you can leave and you kind of see it with people who come in they either come and they stay forever or they come and they're thrown out and it everyone I've met that comes here they're like they're trying to start like it brings up all these emotions that they've never really experienced before and it was kind of a, one of those things and it, it, a lot of it was for me was am I how do I like want to move throughout this world and where do I want to what do I how do I want to ha- like achieve this and I finally like I f- talked the whole time in my three months like oh I can't get stuck here I can't get stuck here and it was like that whole mindset was I can't stay here forever I can't stay here forever and so but I thought oh I'll st- I can stay three more months six months will be my maximum right and I booked a plane ticket to leave because I knew I had to book just book the plane ticket to go and I booked it and before I left I'm like I can't leave and I booked a plane ticket back from where I was going so I thought I'll just go there for a couple months and then I'll come back and I went to Costa Rica which is another place I spent a lot of time on an animal sanctuary out there and I promised to run it while these people were out of town so I went and did that and then I came right back and I'm so grateful that it worked out like that because then the pandemic hit and I can't imagine what life would have been like if I was traveling I would have had to have gone back to North Carolina I wouldn't have a place here in Kauai and I would have felt it would have felt like I did the first time like trying to leave it was like I would have felt that feeling of being extremely stuck Mm -hmm. and here I felt extremely free because it felt like this home and I I hate to say it but it's just never felt like home for me where I'm from which is a lot of people feel like what does home mean to you right and for me it's like community like-minded people and for that just didn't support me in that way Mm -hmm. and that feeling of home here it was like I'm so grateful I didn't leave it and Mm -hmm. then throughout the pandemic it kind of cemented what I wanted and that more permanence because life was so impermanent nothing we didn't know what was going to happen and it kind of it really kind of morphed me into understanding that you know that permanence is okay like I don't have to keep moving I can settle down and now I'm extremely settled down (laughs) I love my job and I can't imagine doing anything different and I'm here for life like I don't plan on leaving and now the thought of actually like going on a vacation or leaving the island makes me feel as if like my a sink in my heart like I wouldn't want to leave if I had the opportunity to I love that you've changed the the word stuck has evolved into permanence. Yeah. It's essentially the same word, but it's just approached differently. And mm-hmm. you're not stuck. No. You just found a, a love yeah. for something that you don't want to leave. Exactly. I love that. I was kind of reflecting on this recently, but a large part of it was just kind of deepening in my spirituality in a way. So as soon as I was kind of, it felt like this. I don't know, like this magical world that I was coming into. And around me, there was not anyone in that world. And it was hard for me to express that. And I think just, I felt this need to, like I I felt this clarity of mind that I didn't know how to express in that situation. And then I went to the perfect place to find that. I was in like spiritual community. I was with people who, 
had like supported the same ideas that I did and I had never experienced that where I was from and so it just kind of yeah I don't know like what it was I think it was that feeling too of like not fitting in wanting to run away in a way and wanting to find community and I was so lucky I found it in the first try and that's (laughs) what I think made me (laughs) keep traveling but it was there like it was in the background all along I didn't find that so much when I was traveling but yeah the feeling of just not not fitting in and trying to find those like-minded people and I don't think I knew that at the time but it was just uh it was almost an escape and I look back like a lot of people say when you're traveling you're running from something and I heard that the whole time I was traveling oh you're running from something and I would get so angry I'm like I'm not running from anything I'm you know it's this exploration but I definitely was running from like for me not saying for everyone I was running from something I was running from myself in a way I couldn't yeah I just was I was running where I was from I wasn't I was trying to find my happiness in others rather than in myself it's interesting though that you um did that you didn't you didn't realize what you were searching for but then when you found it yeah you're like that's there it is people do that for a lifetime (laughs) Mm -hmm. and never realize it that's what I was gonna say and I I love I've heard that when people are adventurous a lot of people don't like it Mm -hmm. because it doesn't fit into what their norm is right Mm -hmm. like oh she's just a free spirit and or Mm -hmm. she's she's wandering she's lost she doesn't know could it be that you weren't running from something but you were running towards something but you didn't know what it was yeah I like that for me it's it's hard to explain so it's just the I for me it's like to know that we're there's spirit um we're guided by spirit it's such a hard question to like fabricate because spirituality is so complex and there's so many different parts of my spirituality but to find people who weren't in who are in a different mindset who are seeing like action like you know the things you think the actions you take create what happens in the world and that there's more than just this this life and I don't know it's hard I I can't explain it but it was just being aligned with people who were thinking out of the box and they weren't just like I grew up with my father was an atheist and my mom had terrible experience in religion so it was kind of like I wasn't Mm. I didn't grow up going to church I didn't grow up having any of those experiences but I always had you know just a different different taste of what yeah just kind of it's starting to realize that everything's connected and that we're all part of this greater whole and that we're all like brothers and sisters and that was kind of the what I I loved was just that idea to love everybody and Mm -hmm. to just accept and yeah just realize that there's something something greater without defining it that's the thing it's spirituality is almost impossible to define and Mm -hmm. it's also very personal so it's i'm not surprised that you know you sort of struggle a little bit to to Mm -hmm. explain a definition because there it's in your mind and in your in your heart then and that's i i completely get that i truly believe that people like you said what you put out is what you get back and in today's society right now specifically wouldn't that be a wonderful thing if everyone just said for one day I'm just gonna give 
the most positive I'm going to be the most positive person and I'm going to trust people and I'm going to do good for others and the world would change yeah I, I love that and that's kind of exactly I was around people who are putting out and they're actually acting on you know in the way that they wanted the world to be everyone was giving what they you know like they were treating others how they wanted to be treated it was that yeah. actual like action yeah. of mm-hmm. of like living in spirit and I found that when I was in home I was around like I grew up in North Carolina it's the Bible Belt and I craved spirituality I'd go to church with my friends because it was like oh here's an opportunity and I found that the people like I would be told these things that I didn't like that I wasn't you know baptized like I wasn't going to heaven and then I saw people who were in church who were terrible like they were drinking and doing (laughs) drugs and it was so (laughs) counterintuitive for me and I was only around hypocrites not saying like everyone in religion's like that and I think religion is beautiful in so many ways but it was what I was exposed to that I found sure. like I can't find like spirituality in the reli- sometimes you can't find spirituality in religion and I finally found spirituality it happened to not be in religion but it was just what I was seeking I, I right. found when you first when you very first came to Kauai your first experience was on a lettuce farm mm-hmm. but now you you're working as you said on the pineapple farm yeah. how did you get involved in that so the first like week I arrived in Kauai we have this community center where all the people who are working on this farm would share meals and there's a kitchen and a place to sit and eat and I found a little tag um, and it said hi I'm a Kauai Sugarloaf Pineapple and it's the exact tag that we put on our fruit now it's super cute we yeah. will post a picture of it it's mm-hmm. really adorable yeah so, so I saw that and I'm like wow there's Sugarloaf Pineapple on this island because I'd only experienced on Big Island never heard of it anywhere else in the world and I was like man I would love to work on that farm it was kind of and I wrote it in my journal I was like my dream is to work on the Kauai Sugarloaf Pineapple farm and I had saw that and so it's been in the back of my mind and as I was here I was like I need to save this money to travel again so I went and I got a job while I was working my other farm job so we kind of like for an idea it was three days a week we'd wake up at six and work till 11 it was five hours a day so 15 hours a week plus an extra like three to four hour task that was on our own so it was around 18 hours a week of farm work and it was pretty pretty hard work you're you know crouching down like I was harvesting lettuce all day like scooping mulch into wheelbarrows unloading it for five hours it's you know in the hot sun it's a lot of physical work but I found a job at a chocolate cacao type farm Mm, now Um, we're talking yeah (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't the best experience but it was a great like the most I'd ever felt like supported financially by a job Mm because in North Carolina the minimum wage is seven dollars an hour so it's just just such a difference in pay so I kind of was like wow I could really settle here and I can save money and this is going to be great for future travels because everything in my life was saving money for future travels is always for the future it was never for the now and in college I'd only spend $25 a week on everything I needed so if I couldn't get groceries for $25 dollars a week it was that was that was it that was it yeah and when I first got here my first month I only spent sixty dollars the first month I lived here I was only eating from the land and I would buy like rice and coconut oil were the mm-hmm. only other two foods that I would eat but 
I got this job and I realized like I could stay here longer and then I was in this job and I saw the Kwai Sugarloaf pineapple job appear on Craigslist. Mm. Oh. Yeah. They were asked they were looking they for were workers. They were looking for workers. Okay. And so I reached out and it I worked all three jobs. So I was working like 60 or 70 hours a week. Wow. And I was doing farm work. And so it was a lot of, you know, a lot of work, but I ended up dropping the chocolate job and I slowly started giving more and more to the pineapple Mm -hmm. job and I just kind of fell in love with it in Mm -hmm. a way like it was one of those things where it's not I'm oh I have to go to work today it was like I get to go to work today like I'm so grateful that I get to go to this job where like I truly just enjoy every every aspect of it what does work on a pineapple farm entail yeah it's different you know (laughs) different for different seasons but like this summer, like we're harvesting on a harvest day, sometimes like up to four or 5,000 pounds of fruit, washing, stickering, tagging, packing, loading into coolers, sorting, grading. It's it's a lot of work. And then on top of that, taking care of the fields, we make, you know, different products. We dry pineapple, we go to market. Yeah. Um, we have an online shipping business. So managing that. And I'm kind of in every single facet of the farm. So I'm not just doing one task I'm doing a little bit of everything do you think your degree that you were so stuck on whether I should get it or not has helped you in this I think not necessarily what I learned in the degree but the thought processes that I had to go through engineering is so kind of cutthroat Mm -hmm. you have to think outside the box Mm -hmm. and I was forced to do that and it was a hard like I chose the hardest degree not to use it was like (laughs) couldn't I have done anything else (laughs) but of course I chose engineering and so I'm so grateful for it I'm grateful I knew like when I realized that it was something I had to finish I knew it was all part of a greater purpose and I just completely surrendered that this is for a greater purpose no matter how hard it seems in the moment I have to finish it because there's greater things on the other side of it right that's such a mature outlook it is I mean literally adults who are 60 don't have that outlook where Mm -hmm. it is like I'm just going to grind this through I'm going to make this happen because it's going to do something for me later. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. I'm putting yeah. faith in the universe, yeah. putting faith in myself, and I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I commend you for that because a lot of people would have just said, eh, I don't need it. Yeah. yeah. Everyone there is like, why are you here? Because, you know, it's we'd go around and talk about our summer internships. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go live in a tent in Hawaii. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's just the complete opposite of what everyone else All is these doing. engineers are like, what like, is going I'm, on here? You know, interning for John Deere. And it was just the complete, you know, just a complete opposite of what everyone else <laughs> I love it though else's visions were. but yeah it was a complete faith and surrender and it has helped it's people you know as much as it's kind of sucks people take you more seriously exactly with a legitimizes degree. you a bit totally and I think that the Paul and Jude who are the owners of the pineapple farm they kind of respected me because they knew that I was just the um, ability to finish something like that is obviously challenging so yeah. just the perseverance and yeah, just knowing that I'm capable of doing something like that, I think made them take me a little bit more seriously. Yeah, I think that's probably most people. And you're so young. I'm 25. You're so young. It's it's amazing the things that you've accomplished. Mm-hmm. So you're over there working that pineapple farm. There's other employees, correct? Yeah, so when I got there, there was one other employee named Jake, and so it was me and Jake. <laughs> you and, and Jake. <laughs> and then we hired one more person, they quit after oh. like a year, and then it was Jake and I for 
you know, it's just two of us for a long time. And there's other worker, like a few part-time workers that come in like twice a week for six hours or something like that. But we don't really, like we're the only two full-time workers who are there all the time, kind of making everything else happen. How many acres are there over there? 13 acres. And then how many, you, how many thousands of pounds did you say? Um, you know, it changes throughout the seasons. We're harvesting probably like 4,000 pound days, but you know, we have 250,000 plants, pineapple Th- plants. That's in what I was going to ask. Wait, so I, I don't, I'm no math major, but 250,000 mm-hmm. plants. Yeah. Is it all at one time or is it like yeah, staged? Yeah, they're staged. So it takes 18 to 24 months for okay. a pineapple to That's grow from a plant question. to a fruit. So you plant, you can either plant the top. And then there's two other types of propagation material that grow out of the side of a pineapple plant. But you mostly would plant it by tops or suckers, which come out of the base. After a pineapple is fruited, there's a sucker that comes out of the base of the plant to produce a new fruit. And so you remove those suckers and you plant them in new fields. So you let it fruit once, you take out the entire field and you start over. So every pineapple you eat takes almost two years to become a fruit. No wonder they're kind of expensive. Yeah. yeah. So the, a pineapple plant is it it's on the it's on the ground. Yeah. And then the pineapple it comes out like of a stem from the center of the plant. And then that whole plant is done once it's fruited a single pineapple per plant? Yes. Only it, one. Only one. It creates what is called a sucker that comes out of the side of the plant which will produce another fruit, but it's not the same plant. So you have another plant coming out and you can't just leave that plant there because that sucker is growing sideways. So it's not gonna stand up straight. And when you have a suck, it's just gonna fall. The plant's gonna kind of fall over and the fruit's gonna burn, like it'll be exposed to the sun. When it's standing straight up, it doesn't have, like as leaves protecting it from the sun around it and it's not exposed laying out, so you want to remove the suckers and start to plant new fields from those. Oh my goodness, it's so much more complex than I think you could have ever imagined. Mm-hmm. What about the dirt? Kauai is infamous for its red dirt. Yeah. It's no joke and I'm I against it. I can't get it. it off my feet at <laughs> all, <laughs> ever. Yeah. It doesn't come out of no. anything. <laughs> um, what? How do you continue to make the soil um, rich enough to bear fruit time and time again yeah you want to do cover crops so we do sun hemp on our fields which is a nitrogen fixer so it turns atmospheric nitrogen into nitrogen that can be taken up by plants this is why she's an engineer no kidding so when the when the am i understanding this correctly when you don't have pineapples growing in a certain area you're covering it with that hemp yeah you want to cover crop it also removes like you know, insects, like different things are attacking the plants, like mites in the soil, all sorts of different things from, it's kind of clearing it out. It's not, so you're growing the, when you're growing the same crop over and over again, Mm -hmm. the same pests are going to persist. But Mm -hmm. once you put something new down that they don't really like, or, you know, don't want, it kind of clears them out. So it's a good for that. And then you have, um, you can cover crop and then we put mulch down, put compost back into our soil. So we have compost laid down in every single row so we're putting organic material back into the soil every time that we replant a field does that farm create its own compost we do not no you don't okay no that is a i had a moment where i was like i'm gonna start composting yeah and then you realize how truly complex and complicated yeah you need a lot like the amount of compost we need we couldn't we wouldn't have enough organic material to make the amount of compost 
that we need, but other people composting gives us that organic material on islands. So mm-hmm. it comes from just right next door. It oh, it does. does. Yeah. That's interesting. Oh, that's cool. That's really mm-hmm. interesting. What is next? What's the crop next door? Well, it's not the crop. It's just a composting facility. So people oh. drop off green waste. It's like a green waste processing. So people come drop off anything like from their yards, scraps, anything, and they just unload it. And then they do compost. They compost it all and sell it to farm. What do, what do your parents do for a living? How how were you raised? Mm-hmm. My mom is a seamstress, so she works for designers. She does like custom draperies, wow. window treatments, like slip covers, like all of that kind of thing. So she'll go through an entire house and wow. anything made of fabric she'll make. So wow. And then my dad is a home inspector, ex contractor. What do they think of the way you're living um, right now? They support it because they know that I'm happy. Um, yeah, they've been great with that. Do they say to you, when are you going to get a real job type thing? No. Okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> they very much support what I do. They know that it's like and makes me happy and that it, it's, you know, it's actually a very well-paying job. It, there's so much room for growth. The owners, Paul and Jude, are, yeah. are old. Like they're both 70 years old and they're looking to step back in the business and they're, they don't have any children. So they want someone to kind of continue it one wow for them manage it and see what happens from they're there. in their 70s mm-hmm. they both well 70 and 69 I think. so they're wow. working the land and they're doing this hard work at that age what's also interesting about the folks who own the, the farm that you're working is that they they want to step back a little bit they're getting a little bit older they could very easily turn around and sell it to dole and get yeah. a lot of money for it yeah they could easily sell it to anyone they could step back but they're at the point where they've kind of created this dream it Mm -hmm. was a dream for them it was starting off with a little bit of plant material and turning it into 250,000 plants and the kind of following that we have is people will like I've had people cry at the farmer's market when we run out of pineapple like break down in tears people travel here just to try this pineapple because it's so different it's it's unbelievable how many people are just connected through this fruit and it's kind of their dream that they created and they spread and they want to keep it going when they could easily just sell everything yes and and move out are the islands the hawaiian islands the only place where sugar loaf is is grown pretty much i mean we're the largest grower of it so there's no one really doing a large-scale operation large scale for us is 13 acres we're the largest commercial grower people grow it in their backyards here yeah I have heard someone tried it in Africa. Mm -hmm. So I think Northern Africa, there's some people with plant material, but you have to think one top grows one fruit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you have a couple suckers that come off the side, maybe one, maybe two. So it's like, if you do the math, the amount, like you're waiting two years to grow one more pineapple or maybe three more pineapples. It's a low, low yield, low yield. So you really have to know how to, basically like stock up on plant material which is something that Paul and Jude figured out which is pretty impressive but what they they kind of they had this fruit they were growing it large scale with another person on the island a business partner and the partnership fell through and they didn't have any contracts or anything they lost rights to the land Mm. and all the plant material just decayed and rotted they didn't have the opportunity to grab it but they loved the fruit so much that they wanted to they loved it like they wanted to eat it so they were going to grow it for themselves so they got a few tops and from there they were like everyone was like do you have any white pineapple do you have any white pineapple Mm -hmm. and so they kind of started growing more and more they started 
tearing out parts of their, you know, they had mangoes and different fruits. They started tearing out and putting in more pineapple fields and it slowly kind of grew and grew and they were in a stress, like we need plant material. Like it'll take us like a hundred years to get enough to even plant a part of this farm if we're moving at this rate. And they were, they are kind of the people who stay up late night reading research articles online. And they found this research article published in India that had, um, it showed like it was talking about plant propagation. So pineapples are apically dominant plants. So they produce mm. when they're have uh, like a stress, they're going to produce more plants through their um, it's like through the bottom root system. So you, if you rip out the middle of the plant, it'll create a stress response. and It's going to create suckers. It's mm -hmm. going to create like around three suckers if you break out the middle and you plant it. So they found that if you cut it into sections, it'll produce more. So if you cut it completely down the middle of the top of the pineapple, break out the middle, each side will grow three suckers. And then oh. if you cut it into force, each fourth will go three suckers. And I think they were able to get it into sixes. So they could get one plant wow. to create 18, um, 18, you know, future plants. Yeah. So that's how they expanded their farm. And they just kept kept working on it from that that's amazing yeah. that they just like just through research asking people who know better or who have yeah. known longer what did they do in their previous lives they were um jude was a painter and paul was a contractor but they were both farming the same land that they were living mm -hmm. on so it's a very complicated mm -hmm. story but yeah they were just kind of passionate about farming about farming yeah i, I just find it so fascinating <laughs> it's I crazy mean, i love it it's the only place you can get it is here. I know. Basically yeah. is here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is unreal. I've been to the farmer's market where Sarah, you know, is repping that booth and there's a line. You can see it as you're coming yeah. into the farmer's market. There's one booth that has a very long line. It's Sarah's booth <laughs> and she has little samples, like a little sample cup. And there was a little boy the last time <laughs> I was there who was standing in front of that cup he, with his toothpick and he'd eat one and then he'd take a pick while he's chewing and he'd turn around and he'd go, you got to try this. Aww. He was just a little tiny kid and he was just like handing them out. I'm like, is this an employee? And he'd get, no, he was just a lover of the pineapple. Yeah. But it was like candy. It was like mm -hmm. someone had just given him a shot of caffeine and sugar and he was like all about it. And that's people, when you said someone cried when they, when it was, I get it. I don't yeah. love fruit. But I'm telling you, if my mind is set on one of those sugar loaves and it's yeah. not there, I would probably weep. Yeah, and we're talking like $25 a pineapple is yeah. an average price. People don't, they look at it and they're like, $25 a pineapple. They try it and they're like, say, give me five of them. Yeah, it right, has an right. insane like quality about <laughs> it, it, it. Where It's like it crack. Can, yeah. It's like, it's like the crack of the fruit Truly, world, right? like I feel like it, it's like inducing like some brain response where it it's is. like you want more of it. And I've never experienced that with any other fruit. No. We should do some neither. research on that. We should. I <laughs> bet you if you dipped it in chocolate, there could even be a better <laughs> situation here. It's <laughs> a, true. It's like, you know. I it mean, can't get better. It's it can't not get possible. Better. I don't know. I, I mean, it's pretty unreal. Uh -huh. It's pretty unreal. It's amazing. So you live on this property. I actually, so I don't live on the pineapple oh. farm. I still live on the lettuce farm that I came here oh. on. And I worked on the pineapple farm with this other job for a year. And then I quit the farm I was living on. The lettuce I farm. Yeah, I quit the lettuce farm and I ended up staying on it as a renter. Because the pandemic kind of disrupted the farming community. We were selling mostly to large restaurants. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And we were selling lettuce to restaurants. And there was no restaurants open. So we had no one to sell to. So mm. that farm pretty much shut down and I became a renter and I rented 
a little spot on the farm. And that's where I've been the whole entire time I've lived here. And you live there now and, and explain where you live and what, do you live in a house on the farm? <laughs> I don't live on a house. It's, you can call it a house. Um, I call it a house, but it's a Costco carport. So oh, a Costco, Costco carport. carport. <laughs> no, that's different than like a tent, a tent because yeah. a tent, you're like, oh, I have to bend down and yeah. then just get into my bed. Totally. When I got there, I was living in a two-person tent for the first year. And then from there on, I got this space. It's basically a deck platform and it's oh. a Costco carport Perfect. on top of it. So it's like a canvas tent and I have a kitchen. I have power. Oh. It's, you know, it's rustic but it's nice and I, I love it like I truly wouldn't. Do you have running water? I have running water yeah. Oh, good for you. Mm-hmm. Do you have hot running water in there? Not in my house but I do in my shower. Perfect. So you can yeah, yeah. and it's uh, how, how's it fueled? How uh, does it get hot? It's, it's a propane shower so it's like a, you just hook it up to a propane tank and put the water through this system and it just heats it up. And you sleep on the floor? I have a bed. Okay. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's really, it's, it's like outfitted. Yeah. It's a whole. Yeah, yeah, it's like a little studio. People are surprised. I've really turned it into something special, especially from what it was before I got there. When it rains, how how do you survive in that? Is it, it okay? Yeah, the floor. Because it rains a lot here. I know. And, you know, luckily this past winter hasn't been too rainy. The biggest thing is when it rains, it everything wants to come up for air. So all the bugs and stuff come out of the ground and <laughs> crawl up into my house. So. I had a, a centipede incident oh, no. once where oh. there was, you know, when it rains a long time, they like to go up for air. They don't like to be wet. So that's hard in the winter. So you had to share your room with a centipede? More than one. I, oh. It wasn't just a single centipede? Oh. No, no. It was like an infestation. Oh, no. <laughs> and and uh, they bite or pinch. Yeah, they, they do. They have something happening. Yeah, it's they awful. Yeah, they bite you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's been like, you know, one of the challenges that has been one of the hardest is that and then just having a wet floor um, when you walk around in yeah. the winter because mm-hmm. the water does kind of come in on the planks and it it's like walking in puddles but I don't keep anything on my floor and I have very minimal things so that's it's good. not an issue. Are there other renters on that property? Yeah so mo- it's all renters oh. now and all my friends are friends that I came here and live on the farm they ended up renting to after oh. everything shut down so my best friend lives next door and like a bigger nicer carport <laughs> <laughs> a bigger nicer carport <laughs> it's closed in it's done really well but I kind of I put a lot of work into my home to make it what it was and it's now that I have a new home on the way I've let's talk about your new home on the way because we love this idea yeah so I have a tiny house being built on the big island and it's a pre it's prefab but you get to choose sort of a layout or a I type cho- yeah I choose every single aspect of it so I gave them a basically an idea like a picture and from there we went and designed it all through like a design software and wow. choose all the appliances all the the complete layout oh. how big will it be it'll be the base of it will be 24 feet long and then it'll be a four foot and a two foot extension in each loft on each side so it's total like 30 feet but 24 feet base okay Did, what square footage do you have do they tell you um it's hard to say they didn't say because you have a loft and you have yeah it's kind of hard with the lofts it counts as square feet so i'm not sure exactly how sure. much it comes out to but it's still bigger than the house it's still I'm bigger than now. what you're yeah. in now are mm-hmm. you going to put it on the same land where does it no. go so my family 
my parents are purchasing the front five acres of the pineapple farm, oh. which is not pineapple. It's rambutan, which is a, do you know what rambutan no, is? No, what's rambutan? It's a tree fruit, like a lychee. Oh, but it's it, in that family. It's in that same family, but it has a spiky, it's spiky and red. We've and the seen inside the is the inside's kind of a grape. Yeah, it's like a grape okay. on the inside. So they're it's, smaller. Yeah, they're yeah. small, and so it's five acres of rambutan trees. And my family is there. It's an escrow, so it's happening. <gasps> and yeah. that's exciting. No, it's a dream come true because what I wrote in my journal when I left Big Island was my biggest dream in life is to have my own tropical fruit farm, and mm. then it's like coming full circle. So it feels like dreams are. Are coming true. <laughs> that's so amazing that your parents are being that support. That's so supportive. Are yeah. they going to have a tiny home there as well? Yeah, so they're going to build the exact replica of the tiny home I'm getting, and they're <laughs> going to put it on the land too. And then they're going to visit a couple months out of the year. Sure. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. What um, will you entirely clear the rambutan or just kind of cut um, areas? I'll probably you know my vision keeps changing so much when I think about it because it's like a, a blank canvas and it's so exciting to think of all the different fruit trees to put on the land yeah but I think for now it'll be rambutan I'll slowly start removing a few sections and planting other fruit trees sure. and I don't know to the extent I w will remove the rambutan but I definitely will remove some for the tropical like the diversity and once I have a diversity that I like I would um probably stop cutting rambutan because rambutan's a pretty rare exotic fruit and it's really hard to grow is it, it yeah from you know you growing it from start it's like it's such a difficult plant it doesn't like wind it doesn't oh. it, you know for them to plant those they were explaining it they had to put wind barriers around every single tree and then it was they're still trying like dying and so they had to put roofs on them in order for them to survive so whoa to hear the amount of struggle it took to you know get these fruit tree store they were it feels wrong to <laughs> no. to wipe them all Disrespectful. out but yeah. yeah yeah i would like to grow breadfruit mm -hmm. and cacao though for sure and what do you <coughs> what do you make of that whole movement the sustainable food movement and being sort of responsible for yourself based on what you can mm -hmm. grow or acquire yeah i think we kind of live in a place where it's easier in a way to make that possible because we have a year-round growing season so True. for us it's like we really should be we have the opportunity to grow everything that we need on this island I mean there's certain things that you know like foods that we're not you know everything's imported and exported and certain things grow better in certain regions but we could grow so much of our food here if everyone just put a fruit tree in their yard or right. And most people do, and that's really cool. Like, there's, you know, avocado trees behind the library. Like, that's there's, right. you know, there's so many different places where you can find mm -hmm. fruit or just, like, hiking out to, like, Hanakapiai on the North Shore. Like, there's avocado, mango trees, like, mm -hmm. mountain apple. There's everything, like, that you could want along that trail in terms yeah. of fruit trees. So, yeah. so there's it's all doable. fruit, lemons, limes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, the amount of citrus on this island. No one should ever have scurvy <laughs> again, you know? <laughs> the limes here are something special, mm -hmm. too. I don't know what it is, but every time I get here, I have to, like, squeeze some limes <laughs> in my water because it is, like, amazing. so good. Yeah. <laughs> something different about this place. Mm -hmm. It's just pretty amazing yeah. and magical. So the tiny house, let's get back to the tiny home. Is it a... Um, it's a specific company that deals, that's mm -hmm. their expertise, is yeah. the tiny home. 
did you go looking for that or how did that how did you kind of come up with that idea yeah there's a lot of things I was looking for I did want it to be done on the islands because I would like to support a local business and not have it shipped off from like a mass distributor on the main on the mainland but also it's like building for what Hawaii needs it's like we don't need like weight bearing roofs for you know snow there's so much that would have been extra we don't need air conditioning um well I don't need air conditioning we do but yeah you know certain things that were just like to me like too you know extra that I needed and I felt like Hawaii Builder would have been the best option and on the island, there are a few. It's, there's no significant businesses that you can just find Googling it, but you can hear word of mouth about different tiny house builders. But what made me stick with this one was their ability to finance. They have mm-hmm. um, their work with the bank so that you can, you know, you can get a loan on it. It's built to code. It's um, It just seemed like a really, like it resonated with me, the company yeah. and the people were really kind and yeah. They, what they were building was very similar to what I wanted. Yeah. And it, that's something to have the package complete. Like you don't mm-hmm. have to worry about permitting. You know, it's yeah. all up to code. Totally. That's and a problem. Yeah. It's, you know, tiny houses are tiny, but they're not cheap. It's no. like $150,000 for a tiny house. Is that yeah. what it is? Yeah, I was wondering. And, it, and wow. to have $150,000 at cash at 25 years old is a kind of a big, um, a big ask. So, yeah it was perfect to be able to find a place that was willing to, you know, take 20% down and then finance the rest. That's so cool. Yeah. Before you leave, we always ask our guests to give us a takeaway gift, a tag, something that we can remember you by. Do you have anything for us today? Yeah. A motto that I live by and that has been um, integral part of my journey. Love all, serve all, remember God. I love it. That's amazing. That's a mm-hmm. good one. Thank you, Sarah, Sarah Pineapple, for joining us today. We're so glad to have you on and get to talk to you about the coolest subject. Nothing better. I love it. So we appreciate you coming down here and talking to us. In the meantime, we're Two Average Girls. I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. We'll see you next time. 